lots and lots of spoilers. Wow, we just cannot stay away from the Oscar nominees in this Streaming Now to a Room Near You series. What can we say? We love us some little gold statuettes. This week we are singing and dancing our way into Encanto. You can relax, I'm speaking figuratively about the singing, probably. Although I can't guarantee we won't break into an impromptu dance number at some point. I already am. Good, yes, yes, look at him go. (laughs) Why are you doing the Macarena over and over? It's the only one I know. That's fair. This most recent work from Disney Animation features a great deal of Colombian culture, imagery, architecture, and voices, as well as songs from Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is not Colombian, but we like him anyway. And just a reminder, we don't talk about Bumpy. No, no, no. We don't talk about Bumpy. Yes, we do. Bumpy, 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 Bumpy. You're ruining everything! (laughs) Everything is ruined forever! Would you like some Bumpy Puck cereal? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm your host, the bearded Disney princess, Max Levine, and over there is my wacky animal sidekick, Mike the Marmoset Loose. Marmoset? <laughs> well, you got to admit, they have not used a marmoset in any of the Disney movies. I'll have to check. I also must admit, I don't actually know what a marmoset looks like. They're very small. Well, that narrows it down. <laughs> When you go into the animal kingdom, remember, marmosets are very small. There, now you know them from everything. They are what we scientists call very, very small. Yes. But before we get to that... Poll question. Last week we asked, what performance from an animal in a film really stood out to you? And Nicolas Cage does not count. Or do you think that animals in movies are just generally a bad idea? You had these to say. <laughs> Tyler Stewart, first to the poll, with the dog in The Artist. Well, we haven't seen, Mike hasn't seen it, but, you know, you're not alone. Yeah. Did, Thanks, Tyler. Did you see it? Next was, I did, and the dog is very good. Oh, hmm, neat. Uh, next was Dave, Dave, sort of. Huh? He responded with, the best performing animals are on the internet. Ah. Uh. Okay, that's that's fair, and he gave us a link to some really talented corgis. Okay. He then added, I know, I drew a blank. A boy and his dog came to mind, but not sure how well the animal performed. Don Johnson? That's fair enough. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, that animal was pretty good, but I gotta say, uh, that German Shepherd did an amazing job of talking like William Daniels. Ooh, my that name is Don Johnson, I come from Wisconsin. Come from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan Schaefer gave us since I didn't see The NeverEnding Story as a kid, this scene didn't affect me as much, but I am led to understand that it traumatized many people while in their youth. Uh, I think he's referring to the point where Atreyu's horse is sucked down into the, I don't know, bog of eternal stench. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was totally sure that horse died in production, personally. I was just like, oh my uh, god, that poor horse! <laughs> you know, That was a very traumatic scene for a lot of people. Yeah, Bumpy still won't talk about it. <laughs> Good. Hey. Nick Hoffman says. <laughs> Nick Hoffman says, the dog in My Dog Skip. Mm. I don't know that one. I only saw it once. I can't bear to see it again. Too freaking heartbreaking. Now I'm definitely not going <laughs> to see it. Also, Hachi, a dog's tale. It's a true story. Also, completely sob-inducing. No. Yeah. Dogs, they make us cry. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. So did Nick. <laughs> and uh, finally, Val Coons, who. Grew up with Mike, so that's pretty much the same thing as owning a dog. Hey! And, and currently owns an actual, you know, four-legged dog. Two instantly came to mind. The dog in The Artist yeah, and the dog in The Villain. Huh. That, well, that's a deeper. The Artist was a charming movie, but Uggy, I guess that was the dog's name, sure. really made it something special. Most people don't know The Villain. Good. We do. <laughs> but it's But it's true. It is not exactly... Good. Honestly, I'm not sure why this movie hasn't hit cult status, but it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Margaret and Kirk Douglas. Yeah. And, as uh, Val points out, Paul Lind as a Native American makes it pretty much unwatchable now. Yeah. But that horse, he not only could do a wide range of tricks, but he had such a personality. Huh. So that's Dogs 5, Horses 2. Oh. Yes, the dogs win. Yeah. 
Um, how about you, oh, Mike? What's your favorite? Uh... Well, I'm going to utterly cheat and say Maximus from Tangled. Uh, I know it's not a real... Oh, that, that's not right. <laughs> that's not an actual animal. Well, but personally, I don't like animal actors as I either don't believe a thing they're made to do or I just somehow worry that they did get hurt on set. So I can't relax around them. So I'm going with Maximus. Uh, sue me. <laughs> How about you? Suing you in the morning. <laughs> uh, I got a couple. One, I really like Eddie the dog in The Mask. Oh, I yeah. think he is both both adorable and, unlike a lot of these animal sidekicks, useful. <laughs> he helps out a lot. Yes. And the other one I like, and it's, I, I can't, I'm not sure how much of it's the dog. It was from that rather sad Dr. Doolittle remake with Eddie Murphy. Oh, dear. At one point, he's basically treating a Jack Russell Terrier. And the Jack Russell Terrier is hyperkinetic because he's a Jack Russell Terrier. Right. And the dog, he, he's holding up a ball and trying to get the dog not to freak out over it. And the dog is literally bouncing up and down on the ground and keeps doing it. Part of it is the dog, and part of it is he's voiced by Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> and it's like, throw the ball! Yes, please! What? It's right in your hand! Throw the ball! What is wrong with you? I just... Please, I'm begging you! <laughs> and it is such a great marriage of the voice and the physicality of the dog. The dog's in one scene, but if I had to pick one, I would go with Eddie from The Mask. Huh. Hey, a funny quick story about Val and dogs. When I was brought home from the hospital, she hit me in the head with a cap <laughs> pistol and said I'd rather have a dog. So, <laughs> oh. it's actually wow. true. You want to see the bump? It's oh. right here. Well, <laughs> And again, thank you. And we have a new poll question. <gasps> we do! A brand new one. Ooh. Yes, I'm still peeling the plastic off it, and I keep finding little bits on the side. I keep, anyway, Ooh. when watching a movie, do you watch the end credits all the way through? If so, is it just to see that there's a mid-credit or end-credit scene, or is there some other reason? Tell us. You can trust us. Trust? <laughs> this is not a podcast that it gives you trust, but anyway. Hmm. Uh, we now, want, well, I was going to say, we want to talk about trivia, don't we? No, no, we oh. don't talk about trivia. Get used to it. There's going to be a lot of that. Oh, <laughs> yes, trivia. The show. The budget for this movie, $50 million. Five zero? Five zero. That seems low. Well, hmm. the, the worldwide gross so far, this is based on uh, mostly rentals and new subscriptions. Two hundred and forty million. Um. Wow. Yeah. So I think we're probably going to be seeing it in Encanto two, three, and twelve. Uh, there's a news story about that, but go on, will you? Oh, okay. Uh, it's been nom this year. It's been nominated for three Oscars: Best Animated Feature, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. Which one? Yeah. That. This is the part that surprised me. It's the song Dos Oruguitas. Is it Pedro's song? Yes. That okay. is. Those other widows, by the we'll way, get to two that. caterpillars. They did. Disney kind of missed the ball on the music in this. They didn't even submit surface pressure, or we don't talk about Bruno for consideration. We'll talk about that too. Okay, good. <laughs> Encanto means enchantment in Spanish, but if you separate it, Encanto also means in song. Enchantment. Sorry, that's a very deep deeper. Encanto can also mean I love or I adore. Uh -huh. uh, Stephanie Beatriz, who does the voice of, of uh, Mirabel, was originally going to be offered the role of Luisa. However, the production met with her and realized she's not at all like her signature role of Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who was a very tough, nasty sort, but she's actually much more bubbly, so they offered her the part of Mirabel. Mm, neat. The conversation between Abuela and Mirabel toward the end of the movie happens in a beautiful multicolored river. It's more of a more like a visual element in the movie. The fact is this place really exists in Colombia. Wait, there's it's people with magic powers and stuff? Sure, you didn't know that? Wait a Juan minute. Valdez Juan Valdez can teleport coffee via his burro. Uh, no. <laughs> it's called Caño Cristales, and it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. It's located in the department of Meta inside a remote national park, and it can be visited, but you need a special permit, 
and only a few people can see it every year. Apparently, it's this gorgeous looks. It's called. It translates as like the river of the liquid rainbow river. Uh, in 2018, the directors Byron Howard and Jared Bush, along with Lin Manuel Miranda and other production key folks, went on a long, extensive trip in to Colombia to immerse themselves in the culture. They met with chefs and artisans and architects. They visited the major cities of Bogota and Cartagena. They were mostly inspired by the small town of Barichara. Uh, the tourist guide that showed them around, Alejandra Espinosa Uribe, was hired as a technical consultant. She also inspired the look of Mirabel with her curly hair and oversized glasses. Hmm. Bruno was originally named Oscar, but his name was changed to better fit the song lyrics. I mean, we don't talk about Oscar, no, no. Uh. Also, there was apparently a legal snag over a number of real-life Oscar Madrigals. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So they changed it. Uh, unlike uh, most other Disney animated features, there was a deliberate attempt for the lead character not to have a comic sidekick. Good. <laughs> yeah. Almost all of the Latin voices in the in this movie are from Colombian-born or Colombian descent actors. Good. One of the noticeable uh, uh, exceptions is uh, uh, John Leguizamo. Uh, this film, while set in Colombia, the film has several nods and themes of magical realism. In, c- in case you missed it, what? A liter- yeah, a literary genre which which uses uh, magical elements in ordinary settings. Uh, this was yes. Th- this was brought uh, into popular culture largely by the works of Colombian writer Gab- Gabriel Garcia Marquez. In fact, the phrase "magical realism" was coined by someone trying to describe his work. Isn't he uh, life uh, in love in the time of cholera? Is that him? Uh, I ca- I'm not sure. He's uh, 100 years of solitude. Okay. And, uh, very old man with enormous wings. Uh, an example in the trailer. When the fairy dust sparks in the Disney logo and it changes to yellow butterflies, that's a big recurring theme in the, in 100 Years of Solitude. Ah. Mirabel, if you notice, dances li- her own way, literally to her own beat when da- singing alone. But when the other madrigals sing, she does her best to learn and match their rhythms and dance language. It's kind of a physically symbolic representation of her empathetic nature and her desire for better communication with her family. Also, her desire to fit in. Uh, we have another. We have a voice here from Moana, Alan Tudyk, who, vo- who voiced Hey Hey the Chicken in Moana, lends his voice again as Andres Toucan, ah. and who can for- who can forget his catchphrase? <laughs> well, he's he used to be. Is it the Dis- is I thought he was the new Oh no cuz they still try and get John Ratzenberger for for, yeah, um, for Pixar. Pixar but yeah he's been in I, I want to say uh, he's been in tons like he is the new poster voice of Disney like they try to work him uh, in for a sound here and there. Cool. Is he deserves it? Sure. Uh it is guessed that Encanto probably takes place about 50 years after Colombia's Thousand Day War. Because we know photography has been invented. This was about October 17, 1899 to about 1902, with uh, an estimate uh, estimated casualties of between 100,000 and 150,000 people. About 2.5% of the nation's population at that time. It's probably the deadliest and most destructive war in Colombia. Now, that being said, most of the movie is sort of set, it's very hard to pinpoint the timeline. Yeah, there's really nothing about the clothing, but there is a real lack of technology. I mean, apart from a camera, there's nothing else. We'll get to that too. In the last piece of the song, we don't talk about Bruno. Everyone sings their part at the same time. This is actually a music style from the time of the Renaissance, where two to eight singers each have different lyrics, all sing at the same time in a polyphonic style. Can you guess what that style is known as? Would it, in fact, be Max? A madrigal? It would indeed. Oh, is it a merry madrigal? Should we sing a, a merry madrigal? We should sing a merry madrigal. <laughs> Originally, Peppa's gift was to be indestructible, but that was kind of seen as too similar to Luis's super strength. It was it was changed to her uh, emotion affecting the weather. She's also the only madrigal with fair skin and red hair. Red hair. I'm sorry. I know it's it's a cliche. Often was sort of. Conf- 
connected with volatile temper and feistiness. Oh, was? <laughs> as opposed to a tendency to freckle. Oh, there's that. The two non-magical people who married into the family both have names associated with good fortune. Felix, derived from the Latin for lucky or fortunate, and Augustine, who's uh, Mirabelle's father, comes from the Latin Augustus, which comes from the Latin augur, which is auspicious. Odeliber, Augustine? Odel- yep. <laughs> Octuliber, Augustine. Uh, during the song Waiting on a Miracle, Mirabelle literally outlines in song lyrics the entire plot of the film to follow. She sings about being alone, which she is for much of the plot. She sings three times to Abuela to open your eyes, which is what's required to fix the magic. She says she would heal what's broken, which is what she ends up doing. She even poses in exactly the same way she'll be seen in Bruno's vision with green fireworks behind her. And immediately after the song ends, the first piece of the house falls to the ground. Though the house interacts with everyone, Mirabel and Abuela... By the way, Abuela's real name is Alma... I say Abuela just means grandmother, doesn't it? Yeah. Are the only two characters to directly address the house. Abuela uses casita to keep family order, where Mirabel's interactions are warmer, waving greetings, expressing appreciation, offering assurances. Notably, when the house begins to crumble, uh, casita responds to Mirabel's call for aid in saving it while throwing everyone else out to protect them. Hmm. Those two are the keepers of the house, the keepers of the magic. This is kind of their gift. We come to that later. There, there's a bunch of other stuff, but... Uh, I mean, the fact that they wanted Al Pacino to play one of the major roles. And, that's right. Um, Hoo-ah! Casita! Yeah. <laughs> you can't handle oh, yeah. the, the house! Uh, uh, I'm Colombian! Oh, wait, uh, that was not Al Pacino. Uh, and, no, that was me. I know it fooled a lot of people. No, was it, who said who, you can't handle the truth? That was Jack Nicholson. No, that Nicholson. was Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Wasn't that brilliant? Flawless. It's like you were really there. <laughs> yep, yep. Speaking of there, would you uh, do us a favor and make it feel like we're there in this story by telling us the, uh, the, the story? I will do my best. <laughs> in a magical house in an enchanted village hidden in the mountains of Colombia under the watchful eye of Juan Valdez... <laughs> Lives the family Madrigal. There's sorry, no Juan Valdez sorry. in this story. <laughs> there should have been! <laughs> a family gifted with love, togetherness, and, you know, supernatural powers, like all families. All under the watchful eye of their abuela, not Juan Valdez, the formidable matriarch of the family. All the children of Casita Madrigal receive on their first birth, fifth birthday some remarkable magical gift. Super strength, the power to heal via food, like you do, plant control, and so on. All except Mirabel, who, for reasons no one knows, is the one Madrigal who does not receive a magical gift when she's supposed to. She even has to watch her beloved cousin Antonio receive his gift of animal communication ten years after her gift failed to appear. But no one tries harder to contribute to the family than Mirabel. Despite her best efforts, she always feels like something of an outsider, even with the love and support of her parents, both of whom are still alive, which is weird in a Disney movie. <laughs> Despite her lack of magic, it's Mirabelle who senses a problem with the magic that strengthens and protects her family and the entire village, and she sets out to identify and fix the problem. This involves finding her mysterious Uncle Bruno, the black sheep of the Madrigal family who disappeared years ago, and about whom no one will speak, although they will certainly sing about him. <laughs> Armed only with her courage and her wits, Mirabel must face painful truths and drag them into the light, even if this might mean the destruction of, her, of the life of her family knows, and in the hopes of creating a better one. Her family knows? Her family knows. The, fa- the Madrigal knows is a very important facial feature. This, ah. is a big su- this is a very big subtext in the movie. Uh... <laughs> Is that it, it totally is. Don't dispute me. That's it. <laughs> okay. Hello down. Now, in this yeah. particular case, Max cheated. Yes. And I say Max cheated because he'd actually seen it before we did the show. I don't consider that cheating. I consider that preparation. Yeah, sure. Uh, especially since you picked it. <laughs> So when you first saw it, I'm guessing it's like, oh, it's a new Disney movie. I'm going to see it because I see all the new Disney movies, right? Pretty much, yeah. So there wasn't any like, oh, I have to see this because. 
Uh, a little bit, just because, oh, wow, a movie with more Lin-Manuel Miranda songs. Sure. And the previews made it look really pretty. Yeah. Which it is. It is very so, pretty. Yeah but, it, yeah, but it wasn't like, oh, boy, oh, boy, this is going to be on Blue Beanies! <laughs> well, that would be bad. Which is how I re- react to most movies. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yes, we, it, we've done 182 episodes before this one, and not once, well, okay, once... Because we watched Yellow Submarine. Have you ever referred to a film with the phrase Blue Meanies? Because I usually hit the mute button on the microphone when I do it. Max is lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, other than Pretty and Disney film, there wasn't anything. And potentially Lin-Manuel Miranda, which admittedly is kind of a big thing. Because i got to say, I, I have not seen... Hamilton, I have listened to Hamilton through, and it's very catchy. And I can totally see why this was basically a career-defining show. Because people are still trying to get in line to see that damn musical. Mm. It's still that popular. Um, I really like some of the music he did for Moana a lot. And Moana was a film that I was just like, I am so not interested in this. I don't care. And even when I saw it, it's like, eh... The storytelling is not is kind of spotty, but the more I watched it, the more I liked it, and most of it has to do with his music. There's a couple of songs in particular which just get me every time. Um, I didn't see, did you see the one they just recently did of his older show? In the, in the Heights, yeah. I did. And how was that? It was an early movie. Oh. It was an early show. Uh, I remember almost nothing of it. It didn't stick with me at all. Well, both of us also really enjoyed his performance on Drunken History. <laughs> oh, he was so great. Um, just hearing him sing Closing Time is worth the whole episode. Yeah. I just also, this is a real weird side thing, but I'm doing a comic that's an opera about a graffiti writer, and my absolute dream would be to have Lin-Manuel Miranda come and write music for my because that's going to freaking happen. Mr. Miranda, we've got your next project. Yeah. Well, quite honestly, it sounds like something right up his alley. It really does. Quite honestly, this is the city silent, right? This is the city silent, yeah. This is, yeah, that sounds like something he would do. Yeah, uh, but, you know, won't. Uh, he just Well, he keeps returning my Valentines. I don't get it, but, you know, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a reason to go see it. I It was on my list literally just because it's a Disney film and I watched them all. Um, there's actually very few, I have missed Disney films. I still have not seen Dumbo. Wow. It looks That's too still, depressing. I know, we've talked about it. Well, some of, I don't know about depressing. Some of it is very sad. Yeah. But the animation's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, apart from one really friggin' problematic scene. I don't know what <laughs> you could be talking about. I mean, just because, lo- it, yeah, yeah, never mind yeah, racism. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to this, and uh, Max and I actually watched it together for this show, a rarity, but it does happen. Um, so your expectations for this, you talked a little bit about those in your opening bit. You were like, oh, cool, we're, it's going to be Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's going to be pretty, maybe we'll learn a little bit about Colombian culture. Um, so how did you feel about the prettiness? I thought the color palette and everything was gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's this thing is beautiful to look at. It's a... It's a friggin' moving painting. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I was really interested because I know nothing about Colombian art or styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all, and there's a ton of Colombian that at one point, uh, and I'm going to, I will not remember the name of the game, when Mirabelle is singing the opening song, The Family Madrigal, which is a nice piece of, uh, if a little obviously, hello. Hello, this is the exposition song. <laughs> you know, this is yeah, it's an intro song. It's kind of a madrigal roll call count off now, <laughs> except it's really it's adorable. I love Cubby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the madrigal no one talks about. Uh, but she's zipping down the street at one point. She runs right through these guys playing this weird game with these exploding balls, with puffs of smoke. This is the national game of Colombia, and it involves beer and gunpowder. Ah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm glad kids but, were playing it then. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The grown-ups were playing. The kids no. were just standing three feet away. Okay, but, but of course, kids watching this won't get any ideas. But well, there you go. Oh no. Um, uh, I, I I also wanted to point out at one point there's a kind of running gag of one of the one of the village children who has no name, who's always drinking coffee. 
and is as such is even more hyper than the other kids and uh, Mirabelle takes the cup away from him and that's why coffee's for grown-ups not in Colombia it is <laughs> kids start off on, on coffee with milk pretty much when they're two or three years old well I'm sure they get a lot done <laughs> yep, they are very, very energetic. Well, we're going to slide since you're, you're talking about the paladin to Colombian stuff. How did you feel about Colombian culture? Do you feel that you learned a lot about Colombian culture from this movie? No. I mean, I, I learned what it looks like. I learned a lot of names of flowers and food. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I learned more than I knew before because that's not hard. <laughs> yes, since you seem to be dropping the one thing you knew about Colombian culture I know the Juan show Valdez was... and coffee That's all I know you, you realize he was a spokesperson and probably not even from Colombia I'm sure he was from Jersey but <laughs> I, yeah. I, yeah, I, all I knew was you got coffee there and later cocaine But mm. yeah, I, And I've heard that it's very beautiful The landscape is just uh, gorgeous Yeah, But no, I knew nothing So yeah, I mean I think so. I certainly, I liked the architecture. I liked seeing the way the houses look. Do they look any different than, say, Coco's architecture? Uh, well, yes, because there's more um, more adobe than wood. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah you I'm guessing that you're... there's more adobe in Colombia than there is in Mexico. Thank you, Disney. I am very well. So that I'm I getting do... the feeling you don't think we we got really much from it no. about Colombia. And one of the things that I liked so much about Coco is that I feel that we learned. Admittedly, it's all centered around one holiday, and one of the themes of Coco is very much a theme of this, which is a. Listen to your abuela because she's in charge, and no matter what, she's gonna throw a shoe or she's just she's got that look, whatever. That's who's in charge of family. Two, family is very important as a central theme to both these films. But Coco, even though it's just centered around one holiday, made me feel a little bit more immersed. This story, honestly, could have taken place anywhere. Yeah, I think that's part of the idea. I don't think this was meant to be a story of Colombia. It's a story about family, and also this was this was something I thought was really interesting. I read about. I hadn't thought about this until I read an article about it. It's a remarkably good illustration of what is called immigrant generational trauma. Okay. What happens in a lot of cases when people immigrate, if especially if they're immigrating under duress, because it's not, we want to go to this other country, you know, to because the streets are paved with gold and we're going to find our fortune and there are no cats in America. Huh? It's a cats! five... <laughs> no, that's a... <laughs> if only there were no cats in America. No, no that's from... Lo- oh, that cats. That, no, that's not real cats. American we love ta- real cats. Yes, that's from an American tale. It isn't for that. It's because, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. Right. This happens a lot. The thing is... The, the trauma that the first generation feels, having their homes ripped away, having to flee, often suffering tremendous losses, as, as Abuela Alma does, because she watches not only her village burn, she watches her husband die in front of her. Yeah, we got to come back to that, but yep. Yeah, we'll circle back to that. Uh, this affects how she raises her children and the, how the grandchildren... Uh, uh, learn and this ha- this is real. This happens in a lot of immigrant and refugee households. The fear that the the ones who fled feel is transmitted to the children, hmm. and ev- pretty much all of the kids and the grandkids represent these archetypes of what is expected. You have Louisa, who is has to be the strong one. And has to carry the burdens of all the family and take on whatever is given to her without ever complaining. You have Peppa, who her emotions literally manifest as a weather. She has to keep her emotions in check all the time. Isabella is perfect. She has to be perfect and she has to marry properly to strengthen the family. Dolores, she's the one who has to keep an ear out for danger. She's the one who has to be aware of everything. Which one was her power? She was the one with super hearing. Oh, that's right. She could hear what everyone was doing, right? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get back to that. Her and, that's an her interesting and co- point. I don't think that I would have ever noticed it if you hadn't brought it up. Um, and of course, you know, my family. I'm I'm think I'm third generation. Let me think. Grandmother. Yeah, I'm third. Uh, second. 
because my grandmother was born here, but her parents weren't, and she was Belgian. <laughs> I'm not a so she, I'm a Belgian. So she, so she fled from the Great Waffle Famine. I, I or the you know the syrup spill. I don't know. Um, and then I forget with my father's side. I can't. Oh, that was my father's side. For my mother's side, I don't know. And we actually had a lot of trouble once my grandfather died finding out because he changed his name and didn't tell anybody. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, that's really interesting. And did, when you read that article, did it talk about whether that was on purpose or not? They think it was. Okay. It, it's hard not to have it that way. It's hard not to see it that way. Okay. See, that, that I think is actually a really cool point. I didn't get it. It didn't come across to me at all, and we'll get to the plot points a little later because I still want to finish this little trio of questions here. But um, I appreciate you bringing that up because, yeah, I would never have seen that. And if it's ap applicable, cool. And if it resonates with people who are going through this or have gone through this, that's cool, too. It doesn't matter if they're from Colombia or from wherever, but uh, I did not see that. The third thing that I wanted to ask you was... What about the Miranda-ness of the songs and the uh, score? Oh, actually, he, did, he didn't do the score. He just did the songs. So that was one of the things we were looking forward to. How did Miranda pay off for you in Encanto? I liked him. I liked a lot of the songs. The, one of the difficulties I have with Lin-Manuel Miranda has nothing to do with him and everything to do with the fact that I am old and my hearing is not as good. I can't always keep up with the lyrics. I had the oh, first boy. the The first time... Actually, yeah, the first time I watched this, I had to stop it, go back, and turn on the subtitles for some of the songs, because I couldn't understand the lyrics. And the lyrics are a big part of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Kind of like Stephen Sondheim, except Lin-Manuel Miranda can write melodies. <laughs> oh, Sorry, Sondheim Mr. can Sondheim. write them. They just tend to be very... <sighs> They're forgettable. They're also you just remember not the pleasant. Words, you don't... Hmm? They're just not pleasant. Yeah, nobody leaves a theater humming a Stephen Sondheim song. Did you um, hum any of these songs? I did. Really? Which songs? Oh, my favorite. I know the one everyone talks about is We Don't Talk About Bruno, which is I love, which is great. And by the way, was on, which was number one on the Billboard charts for three weeks. I would say it's easily the strongest song in the, in the whole movie. My favorite is still Surface Pressure, Luis's song. Okay. What about it, that really, song did you like so much? I love the the visual representation of someone who just has feels they have to carry the whole family. Mm -hmm. I just like that the lines like "What if Hercules said I don't want to fight Cerberus?" Yeah, it, it was a kind of a, a forced rhyme there, but that's okay. Cerberus, I don't, I wouldn't want to try to rhyme Cerberus <laughs> with anything, but whatever. He uses a lot of slant rhymes, and that's fine. That's what people do. Yeah. But I just find that really catchy, and uh, I found that the, the, the hook is really engaging. Uh, I really like that one. I also, I, I love that song, The Two Caterpillars, Dos Orguidos. I, I might have loved it if I had any idea what he was singing about. Once again, I had the subtitles on. And, that and is, a I think that's a problem, because yeah. the song feels important. And it's one song that's entirely in Spanish. Now... I don't have a problem with it being Spanish, but there's literally no way for a non-Spanish-speaking audience, which the entire rest of the film is aimed at, can understand this. Like, Except I would have been happy if it had somebody, like, singing, you know, he sings a line and then somebody sings it in English. Or there's subtitles in the movie or something. But the I, actual <laughs> lyrics aren't that significant. They're about two caterpillars uh, growing apart, being afraid, becoming butterflies. It's not very complicated. It's mostly the melody that underscores the visuals of Alma meeting Pedro and their life together. It's done very quickly and very, I think, very effectively with no dialogue at all. And it's heartbreaking. Well, again, you had the benefit of turning... You didn't turn the subtitles on when I was there, just saying. I have no idea what that song's about. And it was just frustrating because... I like I don't know what you're singing about, and I started to tune out of the film because there was no mm. way for me to be able to to translate this. Um, yes, I I probably I didn't even think that it might be translated in regular subtitles, so I don't know. I know enough Spanish probably to get me thrown out of a bar <laughs> or to ask where the bathroom is. 
But I was just like, why are you suddenly doing this? I don't understand. Why is the entire thing, why isn't it woven in with some English? Or at least given the audience some way of knowing what this song's about. It's also not the only song that's in Spanish. The closing song of Colombia, I Love You, is in Spanish. But most, but the, well, the closing song is sort of a mishmash. Well, do you mean over the over the uh, the uh, credits? The celeb, the celebr, no, the celebration at the end when they're in the house. The one that it, that it's uh, reprising. The Don't talk about Bruno. Nope, nope. Oh, it's the so one after that. I don't even remember it. Yeah. And that's that's my problem. I don't remember a single tune from this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I liked what we don't talk about Bruno the best. It felt the most compelling and the most put together. And I agree with you. Some of the lyrics, I was like, I don't know how you flex your brain physically, <laughs> but I was trying to do that because I was interested. And I do like when he does that. But yeah, and it might be age, you know, old white guys. I was like, what? 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 He said the thing. I almost got the word he rhymed. Okay, I don't know what he rhymed. But what I could hear and what I could piece together... I really liked. I liked the lyrics. But the music, I remembered songs from Moana. I don't remember songs from this. Uh, and well, there, there we got to disagree. I find the songs both memorable and really well done. Yeah, I couldn't sing a single one. Couldn't hum a yeah. single one. I mean, on the other hand, there's nothing in it like Let It Go, <laughs> which is uh, good. There, it's funny. You did. I don't know if you noticed. It's, hard, it's very easy to miss at the end. When Bruno returns the family, there's actually a reference to that, to let it go. Oh, I didn't, but... Yeah. <laughs> and here's when the he's... thing. Let's face it. Let it go. Very well written, very well performed song. It's just, it never stops. Like, it's the song that the kids just play over and over. It's like you can't, couldn't get away from it, and that was People the People have described, we don't talk about Bruno as this, as this year's Let It Go. Nah. And it's actually been more successful than Let It Go in terms of number of plays. Maybe I don't hear people talking about it, which is all I care about, because I freaking let it go. I wish they would. Uh, I also just didn't like Frozen. Frozen was not good storytelling, and we'll uh, we'll get that to that in a, in a bit. Um, acting, it's kind of hard to talk about because it it's voice acting. Uh, so, and, we've talked about that before. Yeah. The, well, the problem is, is that I think a lot like Lin-Manuel Miranda's lyrics, and... The way that they do animation these days, especially with things like Gravity Falls or Star Trek Lower Decks, is the humor tends to come very fast and furious. I have no problem with any of the voice acting in this film, but I couldn't point to anybody that I said I thought did an amazing job either. Oh, I thought John Leguizamo was a lot of fun as Bruno. He was Bruno? Okay. Yeah. Sure. I didn't know it was him, but that, does, that doesn't matter doesn't either. Matter. No. Doesn't yeah. doesn't matter. The point is the characters, and I wish actually, especially with the animation we've talked about this, that they would stop casting for names and just cast for the voice actor. The voice acting's uh, fine. Um, the uh, fact uh, that they picked uh, almost entirely Colombian people, thank you. <laughs> you know, because they've had problems with that before, right? Yeah, but uh, other than John Leguizamo, who are the other names in this movie? Here's the thing. Does it matter? But you were just saying they keep casting for names. They don't do that in this movie. Most of the people are real, are second stringers or people that uh, a lot of people don't know. No, that's why I was thankful for that. Ah, ah. I'd like them to keep doing this. It so like I like if this film. Well, you would have seen it anyway. But do you really think if they had put I don't know. Oh, what's her name? The French lady. Uh, <laughs> Celine Dion. The French, they, uh, I know she's Canadian. If you put the nice French lady in this. <laughs> Would that really have made you want to see the film more? I mean, in my no. case, it would make me want to avoid it. But. Not really, no. Celebrity voicing really doesn't a add that much for me. No, same here. So, good. And I hope they keep doing this. I'd actually like them to continue to doing films about other cultures. Just, you know, actually explore the culture a little more. But by all means, involve people of that culture as much as you possibly can. I think that's a positive step. I just wish I'd learned a little bit more about Colombia, because I still don't accept for... <laughs> that wasn't the point of the movie. Days. That was not the point of the movie, and that's part of the whole magical realism theme is, while it may be set there, the idea is it could be anywhere. And I think it's a wasted opportunity, because I would like to have learned more about Colombia, even a little bit, and I feel like I sort of didn't. Um, yeah, it's not the point of the movie. I'd still am going to say it's a missed opportunity. It could have been. So the candle pops up in the opening of the film where she's explaining what the candle's for, because otherwise we're not going to know. Uh, it's one of those things where you basically sit there, I did anyway, the whole movie waiting for somebody to blow it out. Because <laughs> uh. there's kids all over the place, and kids do things, and I'm like, somebody's going to blow their freaking... They don't, 
but it does become a an issue kind of um it's a symbol i guess more than anything yeah um you also do you notice the emblem that's on the uh, candle i know there was one i couldn't pick yeah, it it's out it's a butterfly oh okay well that makes sense um that's supposed to, i'm i think it's supposed to represent pedro isn't it yeah the okay. butterfly in a lot of different cultures represents the soul leaving the body okay mariposa i think is butterfly yep it's also yep. slang for gay person, but eh, there you go. I'm sure that had absolutely nothing <laughs> to do. Yeah. However, here's something I wanted to ask you, but I think his name is Camillo. Yeah, it is. The shape it fit, it, Yeah, because, and uh, that, I believe, is partly because it's homophonic for, like, chameleon. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Did you get even the slightest nod of non-binary-ism from a him? A little bit. A little bit. Which I, I actually thought wondered. was cool. Yeah. Because he would go back I, and forth. He would go man and woman. He'd, like it yeah, he changed genders as well as appearance. Yeah, that's an interesting touch. I also like the fact that Louisa, apparently the animators had to fight for this. The studio didn't want her to be buff. They wanted her to be another just small, slender woman. But they said, no, she's got to be big and powerfully powerful looking. Mm-hmm. And I think she looks amazing. I think she's one of she's one of my favorite character designs because we don't see women like that. No, in anime, in any in movies or in animation. They also gave gave her an actor that had a lower voice, but it wasn't comically lower. Yeah, it wasn't overly butch, but it was the voice you would expect from someone with that kind of big, powerful frame. And there are plenty of women athletes who do things like there are women power lifters, there are women wrestlers, and I don't mean gorgeous ladies of wrestling. <laughs> well, that's not wrestling anyway. No, uh, there's there's decathletes and stuff that yeah, yeah. are big, powerful women. So I agree with you. I was all for anything kind of variant variance in the usual character design, because let's face it, otherwise there isn't a lot. <laughs> like I also, they all tend to be kind of model like. Yeah, although Mirabelle isn't. Mirabelle looks like a person. Yeah, she's the most, but, you know, anyway. Go on, you had yeah. a point you'd like to get to. Yeah, I, I also like the characters, the personalities aren't defined by the superpower. You know, Louisa isn't hyper-aggressive, always wanting to fight. She isn't uh, angry. She isn't, me- she isn't a guy, basically. No. She wants to help. That's what she does. She is always. That's part of her. That's part of the problem. That what is happening to her is every, she feels she has to take on everything. She has to be able to carry the whole, the whole, literally carry the whole family, the whole village, everything. She has to do whatever she's asked, and she has to do it with a smile. Yeah, and we find that out when the plot wants us to. <laughs> yeah, which I felt like it was very shoehorned in. Um. I don't disagree with her motivation or her song, quite honestly. I just sort of felt like it wasn't a problem until it needed to become a problem. And suddenly we have to figure out what's going on. Oh, well, I've never said anything up till this point, and it's never been evinced in the film. But by the way, I actually feel like I'm... And I wondered if it wasn't sort of a nod also to imposter syndrome, if you know what that is. Yeah. I don't know. I do. I I think it's all it's possible, but I also like to think that the whole reason it's happening is everything's coming to a boil. I mean, admittedly, it's unrealistic that everyone would be coming to a boil at exactly the same time. But they, of course, they aren't. It's not Camilo's okay. Um, Dolores is a little unhappy because she thinks her sister, her cousin, is going to marry the man that she's in love with, but she's not breaking about it. It's really just. The three sisters, Mirabelle, uh, Louisa, and Isabella, who are coming to the end of their rope. Yeah, and uh, do we want to get to storytelling? Sure. I felt that the storytelling in this was sort of all over the place. Um, we get the whole idea in the, the first third of the film is pretty much about Mirabelle and how she doesn't fit in. I will say this for the family, with the exception of Isabelle who we don't really find out again until later, has a problem with Mirabelle. The rest of them seem to treat her like everybody else. Like, she doesn't have a power, but yeah. nobody's, like, looking down at her. They're playing with her or doing whatever they do. I would not have guessed she was only supposed to be 15, but whatever. Well, except for Abuela. Well. Uh, the Abuela is... 
he is very <laughs> hard on her, and mostly she just wants to, to stay out of the way because she's worried she'll ruin things. Well, here's the thing, too, about Abuela, or Abuela as a, as portrayed in movies, especially Disney movies. That just sort of seems to go along with being a, an Abuela. Yeah, it uh, seems to be the grandmother's always worked. <clears throat> well, that's the idea. The, uh, the matriarch is the one who's supposed to hold the family together, and right. they are very... I mean, especially when, in, in her case, someone who's lost everything, she's terrified of losing things again. She keeps saying, we cannot lose our home. We right. cannot lose our family because she's seen it happen and she can't go through that again. And she's the only one who has. Right. The thing about that, too, is that we do get a flashback. Um, we start off the film knowing that she ran away and that she lost her husband. We don't know exactly how or why. And then later we get a flashback as to how or why, except we still don't really know. And I was my, my note about this is that is this a hint of some sort of politics? I really don't know. Were they bandits? All we know is that their village we was attacked. Somehow. We don't know any. We don't know if they were bandits. We don't know if they were soldiers. No. And again, I think that's. I don't have a problem with that. I, I like the idea that because that makes it. Uh, it could be any place and pretty much any time. I guess it just felt like a very random attack based on nothing, like oh we were attacked this day by people and then we left. Yeah, except. That happens. I know, but it didn't and it feel like it felt like it felt like a plot point as opposed to a part of a story. Like there was nothing right. specific about it, and it's like I can see your your idea about it being universal, but to me it didn't feel like I I don't know where I am. I don't know what this has to do with anything. This well, it's just, the cat. It's the catalyst for the stories. You know, otherwise it would just be about these two people who lived all their life in a village and had a nice time. But I guess I don't understand why it couldn't be specific. It doesn't feel like it's like it has all the bearing in the world and no bearing at all because we don't know why. Why aren't those people coming to this village? We don't know. Where is this village? Is it near anybody else? How did they find all these other people? I don't know. And no, it's like this didn't bother just me. didn't bother me at all. No sense of place or purpose to me. Also, the villagers are awfully accepting. It's like all these people have superpowers and we don't have superpowers and we love them, but we're not afraid of them. And like, okay, everything's cool. Was a little well, weird. once again, that's part of magical realism. The idea is that magical or the supernatural is just sort of part of everyday life. Also, these villagers have have only seen these people use their abilities to help Which from cool. the beginning. And it's also nice because it's obvious that they're a part of the, even though their their house does sit up on top of the hill, Wayne Manor. Um, but it's they are out and about all day doing things. Um, yeah, admittedly, it, helping. it doesn't cost them anything because their powers don't have an actual cost except for Pedro. And they're given the magic out of nowhere. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure other people went through what Abuela did, but they didn't get a candle. I don't know. Um, it just, I didn't feel things were, they were too generalized for me. And I don't, it felt like they were trying to hint at something, but I don't know what it was. So... I'd, I'd rather they either didn't hint at it or they were very specific because it felt like was there an insurgence? Was there a political thing? I don't okay. know. No, I get that. It didn't bother me at all. I don't yeah. don't see that as a problem. Um, One thing I would like to talk about: some of the superpowers are kind of odd. Oh yeah, the power balance is very strange. I mean, okay, I and if you look at them in terms of they are there to benefit the village. Okay, Luisa, super strong, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, Isabella. Poison ivy, basically plant control. That'd be incredibly useful. Sure. Crop, not just flowers, but probably helps with the crops. You got a weather controller. How helpful is that? You got a healer who can heal you just with food. Awesome. You got <laughs> someone who can predict the future. That's always a problem, but it's a big power. Then you got. I have super hearing. Yeah. And I can turn into other people. Yeah. Now. I talked to our mutual friend Libby about this because uh -huh. my first thought, and I'm afraid this is just sort of how, it's kind of an example of just how different people's minds work. I, I used to work in, in security, so my first thought is Dolores and Camilo are the covert ops team. <laughs> Let's face it. She, these two would be ideal for gathering intel. Yeah, Camilo can spy on anyone and Dolores hears everything that goes on in town. She knows everything that's going on. How is this helpful in terms of, you know, if you want to look at it as uh, bright and sunny and beneficial? Libby pointed out a couple of things. One, 
we actually see once what Camilo does that's really useful. He turns into a new mother so the actual mother can take a nap while he takes care of the kid. It's like, okay, that's kind of specific. <laughs> and he can change how tall he can become a taller person to help hang a banner. Ooh. It's like, Camilo, we need another wand. Well, now wait, he, he's in a Disney movie. Was he carrying the banner? <laughs> he, he should have been. I think in this case, <laughs> he they was were only singing. holding it up. And the other thing is, there's no communication technology in this village. There are no phones. Dolores would be a really good early warning system and would be basically like 911. If someone's in, a pro in danger, they just yell out, hey, Dolores, help. She'll hear them and can direct help. So, okay. Okay. Her I get. Yeah. I still don't really see how useful Camilo's power is. No, and he was my favorite character. Oh, he's a lot of fun. And obviously, you know, it's, but is being comic relief a superpower? Is this a great benefit to the village? I'm not going to say it is. Well, here's the <laughs> thing. He's my favorite character for his potential. I think there is so much to explore with somebody. And, of course, this has absolutely nothing to do with a certain D&D &D character I play. But uh -huh. I think there's so much to explore with somebody who literally is gender fluid. And like you could it, be anybody in any form. You know, yeah. he becomes a miniature version of his father. Oh, and, we all, and then there's Antonio. King of the beasts, apparently. Yeah, and so as soon as he gets his power, which is he can talk to the animals, talk to the animals, squeak Learn and squawk life. and talk with the animals. Yeah. Um, and they can so talk at that point, him. my guess is the entire village went vegan or <laughs> vegan or vegan, vegan, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's too deep that's, for. That's yeah. way too deep. Yeah, so because how are you going to talk to the animals? and eat meat, and poor Antonio is rolling around holding his hands over his head when he hears the cows screaming, don't kill me, don't kill me. <laughs> is he a, you have a song yeah. for that, Miranda? Yeah, I didn't yeah, think so. Yeah, well, that's why he probably stays in his room with the door closed most of the time. Yeah, and of course, his best friend is a jaguar, which can yeah. eat anything, or yeah. in this case, anyone. <laughs> and in fact, he, we see him, he has to stop the jaguar from eating uh, Uncle Bruno's rats. Yeah, so, problem... <laughs> and we know where but it's going. Like we I can, know. we can tell before he touches the magic doorknob. That sounds like a euphemism. When he, <laughs> before he touches the magic doorknob, which is like, yeah, I actually thought he was going to be able to turn into animals, and then I was like, oh no, because we already got somebody who can turn into things. So it's going to be. But so sure enough, he's got the doctor yeah. little, little power. So yeah, Mirabelle is the one who sees that potential in him. She says, "I know you're an animal guy," and she gives him a little stuffed jaguar. Yeah, and let's face it, Mirabelle as a hero is really great because she's really trying. And she does get to that point where she actually sings about, look, no matter, she says, no matter what I do, even if it's you love me, you'll never accept me the way whatever, you accept I'll everyone else. You'll never be good enough. Yeah. You'll never, you'll never be good enough. And that's a heartbreaking yeah. moment. And it's it very is. true. You know, it's like you can do everything you possibly can exactly the way they say they want it. And you know, there's still that dividing line. Um, and she's still trying to help people. It's like she has absolutely no problems with her, what is it, her nephew, I'm guessing, or her cousin, Antonio? Oh, Antonio, he's her cousin. cousin? Yeah, he's uh, Peppa She's doing... and Felix's son, and she loves him. She does. Their, she loves their her whole family. Is except, so cute. Except when she it, suddenly has problems with Isabella, which we didn't know Oh, no, know she has there. that from the beginning. You can see it, it with the way she side-eyes her a few times. It's so slight. It's it literally... It is slight, and it, 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 does kind of, it doesn't make a lot of sense. We don't no. really have... On any kind of explanation, because it's not like Isabella's the only one with a superpower. They all have them. She doesn't seem to resent them. No. But, I don't know, but she's obviously the beauty. She's the one who's the prettiest. I don't see why that's the big deal. Oh, yeah, uh, that part, that part's a little flawed. Well, especially because we're watching Bruno. Bruno, for some reason, his power requires a large space and a ritual, although none of the yeah, rest of them require that. Yeah, he's the only one who requires props and yeah. ritual. It's but just you, weird, but whatever. So well, he has this, this vision, and we're watching it, and she makes him push forward to see a little past what was originally just Mirabelle's going to ruin everything. And we see her hugging somebody. I don't know about you, but I thought it was going to be Abuela. It made the most sense. And then it's like, yeah, oh, it's I Isabelle, did too. a character we've barely yeah. touched. Okay. And yeah. to be fair, that's where things start. And I think, sadly, the really the point was, you think you know your family, but you actually don't know them as well as they think you do. And that yeah, is actually a yeah. good thing. That's an interesting theme. But it's not particularly well 
or or smoothly introduced, I don't think. But um, we do have our talking points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually have a third question I need to bring up, which, yeah. Does this movie feel like it was made for streaming, or would it have felt as easily at home in the theater? I think it would have easily worked in a theater. That's I think a- uh, the, the way the colors are and the sweeping panoramic shots... Uh, and this, even the scale of the whole valley at times, I think it would have worked great in a theater. It is not a direct-to-DVD sequel like oh. Lion King One Half or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, Lion King Two to the N minus One. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So this felt—I don't think that they pulled any um, stuff out of making a Disney movie. It feels like a Disney movie. Yeah. Would seeing this movie on the big screen add anything? I don't know. I think it would add a little. I think it would uh, make the visuals even more impressive. I think the colors would have been more vivid. Let, let's face it, my TV screen isn't the best. Maybe it would. It probably would have looked more impressive in seventy millimeter or whatever it's called now in, you know, four in four K, eight K, special K, special <laughs> special K. I want yeah. my films in special K. Crunch yep, crunch. Yep. I think it probably would have added something. I don't think it was vital, but I think it would have added. Because color and light are so much a part of this movie. Yeah. I want to briefly touch on magic. Okay. Magic in this movie is inconsistent. Um, mm. We th- there's, no, there's literally no origin of the candle. It just shows yeah. up. Um, and again, I don't know, does everyone get a candle? Is that a thing? Like, if you had a horrible experience with whatever happened to Abuela, do you get a candle? And the candle does exactly what? Oh, it makes a house. Well, it doesn't make a house. It makes a house magic. Or it's a it? representative, and, cl- and it turns out it's not necessary. Except that they get it back anyway. Oh, up, they, up, don't, up, they don't get the candle back. The candle never comes back. The powers do. Yeah, the, yeah, spoiler, the magic comes back, but the candle is meaningless. The candle is just a symbol. Yeah, but it feels like it's what caused... And here's the thing we don't know either. Does this mean that they're still going to get powers when they turn five? I don't know. Yeah, we don't does, know. Does it matter? Does it not? I don't know. Um, we just talked a little bit about it. So everybody can do their power like this. They can be very strong when they need to lift things. They can be you know, bringing flowers out of nowhere. Uh, there's storm clouds. Oh, except Bruno, he... Re- requires a big sp- huh i don't know yeah I don't, all i can figure is in some way the ability prophecy is a really weird power it always has been and it always is associated with something extra it's usually associated with ritual or hallucination or yeah. something because you're violent look there are people who are somewhat stronger than other people there are people who are good at growing plants i mean not just by snapping their fingers Predict, actually predicting the future, that's really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, it seems that, for whatever reason, the magic only flows through the actual bloodline, so you can't marry into magic, but your child can have it. So well, that's apparently a, the, the magic is, uh, I don't know, domin- a dominant gene. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And I get the idea of magical realism, don't get me wrong. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Carroll, has magic in his books that is often... This it's much less. There's no superpowers. It's usually much lower key than that. Um, but there's usually no explanation for it. It's just part of the story, and it's sort of a what if thing. And I do get that. And this is not as bad as say a Harry Potter film, where magic can't do that. Oh, except over there. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. can always do this. Oh, except for this situation. You uh, because plot. Um, and it's not as bad in this, but I did want to bring it up because magic is sort of like time travel. <laughs> Yeah. If you think about it too hard, it really doesn't work. It start, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other notes you want to get to before we uh, wrap up? Uh, I think that's most of it. Although, if you get a chance, the other thing I didn't get to bring up, because it's a whole other can of worms, is uh, there have been people who've talked about Mirabelle's situation as what it's like to be what they call now neurodivergent in a family. To be, to say, be on the autism spectrum. Okay. To feel that you are missing the gift that everyone else has. Hmm. And apparently there's a lot of parallels to that. And you notice that the two people in the family who have the greatest trouble, Mirabelle, who doesn't fit in because of her gift, and Bruno. Bruno has some serious issues, although you don't know if he had them before or if his, his isolation or his prophecy powers. You know, he's OCD. 
He may or may not have multiple personalities. Yeah. He's also it's played more for laughs with him, but he's also a bit neurodivergent. That's an interest. The way he's treated, and the idea that uh, that's something to be hidden away, and uh, that's bad for the family. There, I thought that was kind of interesting. Was that something? And, another article you read, or did it just yeah, occur to you? That was, oh, okay, no, cool. that was another article I read. The one I just I also just do want to point out that whole thing of the uh, immigrant uh, Trump tr- generational trauma. That resonated more with me, I think, than it did with you, because that comes across in a lot of Jewish families. Well, also, to be fair, your background has actual culture in it, whereas well, mine kind of doesn't. Well, you've got a whole, yours has too many is the problem. Yeah, you've got a I'm, whole I'm lot a, of them. I'm out of mutt. I've seen how the fear that was in from the older generations trickled down and affected a lot of things in my grandparents, my, my parents, and in me. Well, see that 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 fits, and this actually fits one of the really interesting discussion you and I had, obviously off mic, where I forget why you brought it up, but it was somebody saying, "Well, wait, is Judaism a race, a religion, or a culture?" And the answer was yes. Yeah, and it's all that's those things. Way more compelling than my background of we like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so, or well, we like know. cheese too. We're just not supposed to eat it with meat. Yeah. So, but. We should probably get to that point. Yes, we should. The Roundup. So, Max. Yes. You had seen this before. I had. What was your initial reaction, if you remember, to Encanto? It's funny. Uh, I liked it, but I had uh, some of the same... I had some plot problems with it, but I've watched it a couple of times since, and uh, there is something I find really just delightful and comforting about this movie. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. Some of it is, it's not like a lot of Disney where it's, ah, oh, the whole world is going to end if we don't do this, or our the, the valley will be destroyed. It's like, no, our, our family is suffering, and we, we should try to fix that. Hmm. And I, I like the music. I like it better with the subtitles, but I like <laughs> the music. So what did you think this time? Because, I mean, I'm guessing that's what you're saying, is that the more you watch it, the more you've liked it. I, I still I, this I still works for me in the, the this time we saw it and I still get I still tear up during the Dos Orgridos song. I uh, just there's something about it's so touching the whole sequence and the music is so haunting even if you don't know what the lyrics are and uh, it just really it just gets me. Cool. Yeah. How about you? I know you had not. This was the first time you saw it. It is. I saved. Well, to be fair, I just hadn't got around to it. <laughs> well, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, when I first, when it first came out, I didn't know we were going to be talking about it, so it's like, oh, here it is. I'll watch it. Yeah, and usually I do. I usually watch them right away. Um, here's the thing: when I first saw Moana, I had a lot of storytelling problems with it. I liked some of the songs a lot, especially the one where they're out. Uh, it's, it's she's doing a flashback and they're oh, the the Voyager song. Yeah. Oy, oy. Oh my god, that gets me every time. Every yeah, that's a time. Great song. That's my favorite song in the whole in It's the show. getting to me and I'm just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the first time I saw Moana, it's like, wow, the storytelling is just not very polished. There's a there's a lot of issues. The crab the crab song's fun. <laughs> it does not yeah. fit the rest of the movie at all. No. no. And I watch this, and I have a lot of problems with the storytelling. I don't think it's particularly well-polished. I think that some of the plot points, they just feel really thrown in at the end. Like, oh, now we know what this, what's going to happen. Mirabelle's going to wreck the house. Well, we, we, and she, but she has to somehow figure it out. Oh, by the way, she has a problem with this sister because of that. Or this sister has this issue. And it's like, where did this come from? I, don't, I, I literally don't feel like this was part of the story. It was just sort of thrown in the same way they had to suddenly halfway through uh, Frozen. They're like, uh, we don't have a villain. Uh, that guy. But having talked to you about it, I can't help but wonder if Encanto could end up being like Moana, where if I watch it more, I might actually appreciate it or enjoy it more. I do think it's very nice. Uh, and I have no problem with nice. <laughs> we, should, we should have more nice. <laughs> I don't find the songs compelling, except for we don't talk about Bruno. I think they're well done. I just don't remember any of the melodies at all. Um, my, one of my notes was that it feels like there's more manipulation than actual storytelling going on. 
Huh. Um, I don't know that that's right. And let's face it, if anybody's going to manipulate you, it's going to be Disney or Pixar. Because <laughs> mm. that's what they do. They're uh, good or, at it. Or Spielberg. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't mind going to a movie knowing going going to feel good or happy. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's not that. I don't look down on a film for that. <laughs> I don't think this is their strongest film. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I f- really wish I that they had used it as an opportunity to help us learn a little th- something about Colombia. I can understand it wanting to be more universal, but heck, they've been doing that for decades. I'd rather see something more specific. Um, and that's that's obviously just a taste thing. You're totally yeah. fine with it, and I'm. Yeah. I just wish they had done more. That's not. Well, I- I hope you do get the chance to try it again. See if it uh, if you like it better as you go along. I probably will. So that's where I'm at. I'm I'm on the fence, but I have this feeling if I watch it more, I'll probably like Max end up liking it more and more yeah. over time. Hmm. But uh, we still have that poll question, and we yes, still we people do. don't know how to answer you. Well, for the poll question is when watching a movie, do you watch the credits all the way through? If so, is it just to see if there's a mid credit or end credit scene, or for some other reason? And you can tell us by emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com or go to the same website that is in the email address. What a coincidence. Maxmikemovies.com. You can leave a comment there. Uh, you, can, uh, you can tweet Mike. You can text Mike at his cell phone, which I'm going to give you now. No, you're not. You can't tweet me. I don't have a Twitter account. Oh, well. But the yeah, show does. Can. You just won't get it. <laughs> yes, but you can reach us on, on the Twitter or on the Facebook at Max Mike Movies. Uh, you can find us on the podcast app of your choice. Even some against our choice. Yes, even some against your, against your will. Ah. And, well, so that closes out this movie. So what fabulous streaming work are we going to be watching next week? Well... Uh, it's a film. Um, we're going back this week. Was a obviously film, Disney. a real departure here. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, go ahead. I'm going to go with Shut Up. That's our next <laughs> film. It's called Shut Up. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to go back to Apple TV Plus. Obviously, this week it was Disney Plus. We should have said uh, it's pretty oh. obvious. But yeah. uh, we've done Apple TV Plus. We've done Netflix. We've done Disney. Um, this is where we're going back to Apple TV Plus. And uh, it's actually a film adaptation of a play that I've never actually seen. Um, and it's a new play. It's starring Denzel Washington, and then I'm guessing the mm-hmm. title role. And uh, it is called The Tragedy of Macbeth. I'm not going to say anything, because you, you're not. I'm going to pretend I'm not here, so you get all the bad luck. What, what do you mean? You're not supposed to say that name. Tragedy? Denzel no. Washington. No. The one mm-hmm. after the word of? Macbeth? Hot potato drop his drawers. Puck will make amends. Ow! Oh! What are you doing? Never mind. This is theater. Tra- okay. Yes, I know it's technically only if you're in the play and in the theater. But there's old tradition of you don't say that name. You're supposed to say the Scottish play instead of Macbeth. So, if you'd like to tune in next week and hear Max make more strangled cat noises, by all means, join us when we talk about the tragedy of oh, all right, the Scottish play. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.